care about that. Blog Talk Radio. Quarters. Security, condition three. GQ, security three, sir. General quarters three, intruder alert. GQ three, intruder alert. Well, you know what that means. Good evening and welcome once again here in Madame Perry's salon. And I am your host and cruise director. Madam Perry, or you may call me Jennifer Perry, or it's J-Mod, and I want to welcome everyone back again. If you're listening live tonight, which is Tuesday, September 5th, um, I just want to say, if you're listening live and you're on the Blog Talk Radio page, if you would, please click the button. It's a little rectangular pink button that says follow and follow, or you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and Blueberry, because I want to say... Uh, so many of you are sharing the episodes with friends and downloading and subscribing, which is great. It helps me to know how to bring the entertainment to serve you and bring people that you would like. It helps me get sponsors and also helps me, uh, like I said, bring, bring more fun people. Like, you know, last, what was it? Recently we had um, Lita Ford. I mean, Lita Ford, the queen of heavy metal, the uh, empress of shred. Uh, from the Runaways, and uh, she's back on tour, and she's back and better than ever. Uh, we, she was on here talking about her new book, Living Like a Runaway, and absolutely loved it. We also had cartoonist and animator Peter G. was on last week, and that was fun, too. Um, he's going to have to come back. That guy was, he, he was just he was, I don't want to say animated, but he was quite an interesting fellow and pretty great energy. Also, um, I wanted to say that uh, if you listened uh, two months ago when David Fishoff was my guest, you know, he's the arts and, and uh, he's a sports and entertainment agent. And he's also the creator of the Ringo Starr All Star Band. That was his idea and Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. The next one starts in about a week. It's the Judas Priest edition. You still have about a week to sign up. If you enroll, sign up for the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp Judas Priest edition this month, September, and you mention that Madam Perry, Madam Perry Salon, let you know about it or told you about it, David Fishoff will give you a guitar worth $700 when you get there. Yeah. And that's pretty generous. So all you have to do is mention Madam Perry, enroll, and you get a free guitar from David Fishoff. And that's pretty cool as it gets. Uh, also, this Thursday, tomorrow night, I've got Karen Head, uh, poet and author with a new book. And Thursday, I have Tish Siravolo. She is the owner of She Rock, Daisy Guitars, and the uh, She Rocks Awards. Magnificent woman. Uh, 
So she's going to be here Thursday. That's going to be fun. And it just seems like every show gets to be more and more fun every week. Coming up on the 25th, I got Tom Slick from a Def Jam Universal Records. Uh, produced uh, several things for Pitbull and Yin Yang Twins. He's going to be here. And um, and Kat Canavas, you might have seen her on Dr. Oz, but she's going to be back talking about her new book about dreams, and I'm excited about her as well. Now, tonight, first of all, I, this this guest has been on before and has gotten to be a good friend of Madame Perry's salon. We just adore him. I love his work. I love his work because, it's, it's to me, it's reminiscent of books I like by Pete Dexter and Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, he's one. He's, he's a playwright and author and an artist. He's won numerous awards, including the Southern Playwrights Competition for his uh, play Kentucky Wings, the Irene Bashor Award for Here Lie the Boomers, the Nantucket Short Play Con- Competition finalist for Here Lie the Boomers, the McLaren Comedy Playwriting Award for Sex Without Pliers, the National 10-Minute Play Contest finalist for Don't Cry for Me, Argentina, and he's also been awarded a Baltimore Playwrights Festival of, of oh the Baltimore Playwrights Festival Award of Excellence for the following. Billy would have been 30 today, Farewell, Mona Lisa, Those Strange and Glorious Years, and Sex Without Pliers, and he was a semifinalist in 2009 and 2010 in Amazon's Amazing Breakthrough Novels Awards for his book, A Sunday Stroll Through the Ant Farm, which the title has now been shortened to Through the Ant Farm, which is what you know, you know we're going to talk about if you follow my social media, and that's a lot of other things. You're going to be able to call and ask him about writing, playwriting, his books, and where you'll be able to uh, see him personally and get his books. And one more thing, I mentioned this guest a lot. I mention his name a lot because he is the person who came on in the very beginning and said, and that's when this was only a blog, not a podcast, and this gentleman said, reported to the outside world that Madame Perry Salon looked like the inside of Jeannie's bottle. Because he shared this enlightenment secret from the world, uh, that is why it looks the way it looks today. So if you come in here and visit sometime or if you call, we'll invite you in and you'll see indeed that is what it looks like. So obviously I'm talking about my dear friend, author, artist, and playwright, Robert Leland Taylor. Robert, come on in. You know you've got your own cushy cushion to sit on over here, the one with the tassel well, on the corners. Thanks so much you for having so me. Welcome. It's great to be back in the genie bottle again. <laughs> it's delightful to have you here. Yes, your your cushion's been kind of lonely for you over there, <laughs> and uh, I think it's such a great great night to have you. And I'm so excited about this. I gotta say too, you know, I, I know I got a little short window there reading, but I, I love names. Don't cry for me, I can Tina, yeah. <laughs> or or uh, sex without pliers. I don't even I don't even know if I want to know about that. Uh, Sunday stroll <laughs> to the ant farm, which is the new thing we're going to talk about tonight, which I've read. I love it, magnificent book. And uh, the, your novel previous to this was Holy Toledo and the Virgin Shirley. Right. Which I think we talked about when it was a blog. We you came on. We talked about this show. So welcome again, and congratulations on uh, getting the Amazon Amazing Breakthrough, being a semifinalist in Amazon's Amazing Breakthrough Novel Awards for uh, Through you. the Ant Farm. 
that's got to be fun. I mean, it, you have so many awards. I mean, and and uh, accolades, but that's got to be a cool one too. Yes, that was an exciting time for me. I was in the running. It's always great to be in the running. It's always better to win top prize, but hey, I'll take semifinals. You know, that was a that was a great honor for me, and I I took it gladly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nothing too shabby, I'll, I, I'll tell you. So um, I want to tell people, too, if you're listening to Night Live, you will be able to uh, talk to Robert Leland Taylor. The number to call, as always, you should have this on your speed dial, but the number to call in here to the studio is 646-716-9922, and that's a toll-free call in the continental U.S., so, let's this see this is we... a call-in show. What could possibly go wrong? Have you have you ever oh. uh, seen one of the, Have you ever seen one of those call-in shows where where nobody calls in and the host is sweating, you know, and the the guest is his face is turning purple and he's just getting ready to take a cyanide pill and you know the phone rings and it turns out to be a wrong number or something, you know. Hello, do you carry Mister Bismol here? You know those. But, you know there's a. It's very it's huh. very stressful when nobody calls. But I noticed on your show you it's always have callers, and that's a good but thing. But it's been weeks since that's happened. <laughs> and even I know. if I don't have callers, it doesn't matter. Sometimes people. I got to tell you this though. Sometimes I have people message me and they say, "I was listening and I didn't call because I was so busy listening that I didn't want to butt in. I didn't want to interrupt right. because some people were. Sometimes the conversation with the guests will flow so well that people get caught. And they go, "Oh my God, I was going to call, then it was over." But it was just so much fun to listen to. So <laughs> that's not necessarily yeah. And, it's like and yeah, and you don't want to be the one people, that interrupts a great conversation because all the uh, discussion will stop. And then you'll be on the line, and you'll be on the hook. Why did you interrupt us? We were on the roll here. So you always have that concern <laughs> too, I'm sure. Well, we you know we have so many. Uh, I've been lucky to have so many regular listeners that call in, and uh, so I can you know usually kind of keep them on hold just a few seconds, not not too long. Right. And they 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 graciously wait for the moment. To come on in, but yes, definitely call six four six seven one six nine nine two two if you want to talk to Robert Leland Taylor or myself. So now let's talk about through the ant farm. First of all, for those that don't know, what's this book about? Well, it's uh, it's about a seventeen-year-old Kentucky boy. He's got an odd name. His name is Grip, and he shoots his father off the roof. His father, he was a <laughs> Kind of a bad influence on the boy. He was abusive. He was a drunk. And he had pretty much given Grip a rough time all of his life. So a murder trial follows, and that brings a lot of notoriety to Grip, of course, along with a whole string of uh, female admirers. You know, one of those aberrations that you hear when somebody commits a horrific crime and they receive a stack of love letters, even marriage proposals. So anyway, after seven... Yeah, it's weird. So he spends seven years behind bars, and he's up for his first parole hearing. And it's been a rough seven years, too, because most of it 
he spent in the shadows avoiding all the other inmates because of his agoraphobia from being beaten down so much all his life. And uh, the few exceptions are Dr. Gladstone, the prison psychiatrist, who grips secretly wishes was his father. You know, Dr. Gladstone, he's a real nice, soft-spoken, kindly guy and looks at grip, you know, with the expression that a real a real dad might look at him. And then there was Henry, fellow inmate and bodybuilder. Henry had these massive muscles everywhere, and he wanted to make sure that everybody saw him. And Grip was the only white person that Henry liked, and probably because he saw himself in Grip, and, and he was hell-bent on mm-hmm. turning, turning him around with or without Grip's permission. So anyway, uh, one of the female admirers after the seven years is still clinging to her dream of having Grip all to herself. And that would be Millie. Millie's 18 years, his senior, and she had outlasted all the other female admirers. Actually, she scared them away. And now she's busy <laughs> making wedding plans and picking out wallpaper patterns for the house that she bought just for the two of them. And, of course, Grip doesn't want any part of this, but he's afraid to tell her because, well, because she's crazy. So Rip's not even sure he wants to get out of prison at this point because everybody in town hates him, especially his uncle Edgar, who vows to get even the moment he's released from prison. And his sister, Beanie, refuses to forgive him, and she's moved several states away to escape the Mm. family shame. And Mom, she tries as hard as she can, but she and Grip both know their relationship will you know, will never be the same again. So the question is, in Grip's state of arrested development, what's he going to do if he makes parole? What's he going to do out mm-hmm. there on the streets? He has no social skills, no working skills, and he's never even held a job. So in his mind, all all he needs and all he's ever longed for is a dad, you know, a real dad. And mm-hmm. that's what he gets in the end. And I can't tell you how because I think I've given away too much already. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, don't tell. And <laughs> I like the part, you know, that you added. This is so realistic to have uh, the female admirers to come and to keep on. So it sounds like he's, you know, they can kind of keep them hanging on because these female admirers and uh, will will send gifts and money to these prisoners. You know? <laughs> I know. I knew a couple of girls. I even had a roommate once that was found that she was writing to a guy in prison. I'm thinking, okay, we gotta, I gotta split from this situation before he gets out and comes and finds where we live. <laughs> yeah, it happens the other way around but, too. You know, when you get a female prisoner, so you know you get a lot of males that uh, propose marriage and everything else. It's a, um, it's one of those bizarre things. I don't know if. Uh, how widespread it is, but it seems to me like every time there's a big um, public case that you hear about so many people writing to want a relationship with that person who's been charged with murder. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, and it's always a phenomenon. It's always a, one of the first things you hear after the big noise dies down from the trial, like the Menendez brothers or so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see if they want, if they're staying in prison because I feel like they well they know where they are nights and they're not running around. 
chat with another <laughs> inmate or something. <laughs> but uh, so <laughs> so um, so this is where we are with grip, and um, our, and this is going to sound like a like an ordinary kind of question, or maybe too obvious, but you know, people are always going to ask me, so I've got to ask you, are any parts of the book autobiographical? Well, um, I suppose, you know, I, ne- I never shot my dad off the roof, honest. And, uh, <laughs> and I never uh, I never stole my sister's car and drove it into a, a, a starry sky. But sure, <laughs> I guess, you know, there's some things that really happened when I was a when I was a kid, I, I envied some of my neighborhood playmates because, you know, it seemed like their dads were so much nicer than mine, you know, sort of like the wholesome, kindly TV dads of the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, father father knows best and, you know, those kind of guys. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. always were hugging, hugging the sun and so forth. But I wanted I wanted a dad like that, you know, one who mm-hmm. would save me from monsters that might might be hiding in my closet or under my bed when the lights went out at night. You know, I'd call out to him having while well, having a nightmare, and sometimes my own voice would wake me up. So I'd lie there in bed wondering if he had heard me. So actually, mm-hmm. I was fully awake by then, and I no longer needed him, but. But I wanted mm-hmm. to need him. You know what I mean? So I'd call yeah. out again. I'd call out again in this hoarse little voice, Dad, Dad. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping he'd wake up, turn on the light and comfort me. But, well, he never did. Mom did. But but I wanted Dad to do it just once, just once. So mm-hmm. that that really happened. That really happened in real life. And I... You know, I decided to include it in the book because the relationship with my dad, or or the lack of it, is the fundamental through line in the story. So, mm-hmm. and as far as the bullying, all the bullying that goes on in the book from classmates, well, there was some of that in my life too, but not so much in high school, like in the book, but in my elementary school. In those days, the elementary grades ran from first to sixth, which created quite an age age disparity among mm-hmm. the students all housed in that one building. In my case, the building was uh, J.B. Actinson in Louisville, Kentucky in the 50s. And that gives you an idea of how old I am, about as old as... Uh, Rocks and so forth. <laughs> you are not. But, but there are some. There are, there were some things that I pulled out of real life, and decided to put into the book. My mom, she died a couple of years, uh, well, several years ago now. But she always hated when I put uh, uh, real life events <laughs> in my plays and in my novels. She said, "I, I don't want everybody to know our business, honey." <laughs> she had that. She had that thick. <laughs> She had that thick Kentucky farm girl accent. Well, hell, I didn't want you to tell everybody our business. And I said, oh, Mom, it's all it's all in fun, Mom. We can look back and laugh at those things now. 
<laughs> but moms, moms yeah, don't sometimes. always think. Moms don't always think things are funny. No. Oh no, no, and uh, or they certainly you know sometimes different uh, people in the family. I don't know how many brothers and sisters you have, but sometimes you know the reality of one sibling can be so very different from another that they don't even see you know how things right uh, were. They say, "Oh, no, it wasn't so bad." I don't know where you got that from. Yeah, right. I had three sisters. Well, I got one left, and I had uh, two brothers. And I got one brother left, and that's my younger brother, Mel. Well, he's actually only a year younger than me, but we get along fine. We're on Facebook together, and we talk a lot. And uh, I haven't seen Mel uh, close to a year now. We get, I get down to Louisville uh, once every several years and get to uh, catch up with everybody and I know when my when I used to talk on the phone with my mom or anybody from Louisville, I would have that southern deep southern draw for about a week after after our phone conversation. I've been away from Louisville and Kentucky for so long that I think I've lost a lot of that accent. But I always get it back mm-hmm. when I go for a visit or when I talk to people on the phone. Funny how that works. Do they, do they sometimes not recognize you when you, uh, at first, for your accent? Because I know that I have that with, with relatives of mine in, in different parts of Georgia. You know, they would say, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's Cousin Jennifer. She talks funny because she's from Atlanta. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, so let's... let's Get back then to um, more questions about through the ant farm, and why did you shorten the title? It was a Sunday stroll through the ant farm. Actually, that was and my. You shortened uh, it too. That was my producer, uh, publisher, um, that came up with that idea. Uh, he liked uh-huh. the uh, sh- he liked the shortened version. And then the more I thought about it, you know, I liked it too. It uh, it seemed a bit more less fluffy and a little more ominous, and I kind of liked that aspect of it. It was a Sunday stroll through the infant. When you when you think of a stroll, you sort of thinking of it strolling through the tulips and the and the daisies and uh-huh. so forth. And I wanted to give it a little bit darker, a darker feel, because there are some parts in the in the novel that are dark. But um, that was uh, yeah, Jeremy Stabile, Jeremy Stabile, who came up with that idea. All right. Oh, okay. And so, uh, so that brings us to the next question. Then it's like, what you talk about? Some parts of it are dark. What What does the deep dark hole in the novel represent? Well, it's um, it's kind of hard to explain. It's well, grip. He has. He ends up in the deep dark hole when circumstances are are really bad and I'm next to my window and a motorcycle just went by. And when circumstances are so bad he's you know, he's no longer able to handle the pressure. And the the prison psychiatrist, Doctor Gladstone, tries to explain to him that it's a kind of a defense mechanism. 
uh, that his mind simply goes dark to prevent a total meltdown. And whenever everything converges, all the bad things that happen at once. In other words, the doctor regards the deep dark hole as a figurative thing, but Grip knows, and the reader knows that the hole is real. He really physically is in a deep dark hole. And while he's down there, an unseen presence from above always offers to rescue him by throwing down a rope, you know, or water or hope or basically giving him the opportunity to help himself. And the owner's, mm-hmm. uh, the rescuer's voice is is unclear because he could be a fireman or an angel or, or God himself. It's open for interpretation. And the mm-hmm. weird thing is, Grip is usually annoyed by the voice. And whenever, you know, the voice tells him, he throws down a rope and tells him to grip the rope, you know, Grip will usually say something snide, like, well, grip this in response. But mm-hmm. And then when the mm-hmm. voice threatens, when the voice threatens to abandon him and never come back and never try to rescue him again, Grip seems disappointed. So he has a love-hate relationship with with the voice that calls down from the deep, dark hole. It's one of those little anomalies that I wanted to throw in there for people to think about and for me to think about. Maybe I haven't figured it out either. <laughs> really? And yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Sometimes when when a writer like you is writing a story and, and there's a deep... Um, a lot of deep emotional and psychological uh, uh, paths and and uh, a lot of rough terrain, so forth, that the character's going through. Do do you or do authors usually find themselves at some point examining their own emotions or their own experiences and feelings? Oh, yeah. And is it I ever cathartic? So. Oh, yeah. I think very much so. I think when you take something that's been bothering you for a long time and decide to put it down on paper, you know, of course, disguised um, as a novel or a play, and you know, you're hiding behind a different character. You're wearing a mask, but you still, in many cases, that character is you. And in some cases, you, you go through um, that world in the play doing what you would have liked to have done in real life. And you sort of it's sort of a correction. Instead of um, instead of passing or instead of folding in certain places in life, it gives you a chance to go back and do it again. In play form or novel form, instead of folding, you stand up this time. You stand up and you face the the person that's been dogging you or you you face the situation that you cowered from. So it is cathartic in that regard because you get to relive your life in, in a sense. At least that, yeah, that's I guess how too, I think I about asked, it. When uh, people talk about, you know, the, something like, like, is there something autobiographical? Is there something from your life in there? And I remember reading an article uh, <clears throat> by Pat Conroy once where he talked about when he would write and bring situations in from, from his childhood and he would say, you know, I've got a, um, it's like, a, like he's got the, the image, there's a little, a, a tiny, little, small, ch- 
shall be insecure, scared, just very young version of himself. He says, and I can put him on my desk, you know, mentally, and I can poke him and prod him and hurt him and make him cry about the things that happened to him or to me. And that's he does that when he's writing. And I kept thinking, God, that's got to be. Wow. Wow, that's good. I'm going to steal that sometimes. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> he's so, that's got to be. Uh, that's, that's raw. Yeah. yeah. Well, would you... Could we sweet talk you? Could I sweet talk you into reading an excerpt from Through the Ant Farm? And would you set oh, it up for us if you would? Sure. Um, let me grab the book over here. Let's see. Page page ninety-five. Uh, this is a scene where uh, young Grip. I think he's around fourteen. Um, is being taken uh, by his uh, uncle Edgar to the country to hunt. And the whole thing is Grip's dad's idea because Grip's dad thinks Grip is a sissy and he wants to make a man out of him. So he has his brother, Uncle Edgar, take him hunting. So... I'll start with Grip's voice. That's my Uncle Edgar right there. He's taking me hunting, I'm I'm told, to make a man out of me. I suspect the whole thing is my dad's idea. I'm not manly enough at 14 to suit him, I suppose. He's worried. So Uncle Edgar will fix it, though, I guess. You ever shoot a gun before, he asks. No. We're sitting in the woods near his cooler, waiting to kill something, anything. He hands me a rifle. Take a feel of it, he says. So I take a feel of it, peer through the side at a mushroom near the trunk of a tree. You see something? Uh, No, just a mushroom. Shoot it. Shoot it? What for? (laughs) Hurry before it gets away. So I squeeze the trigger, and the rifle bounces hard against my shoulder. It hurts like a son of a bitch. I lower the rifle and look at the mushroom. It's still there. Try again, he says. I shoot again. It's still there. Catch it in your sights. Picture it gone and squeeze the trigger. So I catch it in my sight. Picture it gone and squeeze the trigger. It's gone. (laughs) I'm giddy. I got it. I got it. Nope. It got away. Shoot that squirrel over there. What squirrel? He points. The one in that tree over here. I don't see it. Over yonder. Right there on the lower branch. I see it. Catch it in my sight and picture it gone. But I hesitate. What are you waiting for? I lower the rifle. My shoulder hurts. Shoot the damn squirrel, boy. This time I catch it in my side, and I picture Uncle Edgar gone, and I squeeze the trigger. (laughs) Not even close, Uncle Edgar says. 
I guess I'm not cut out for this sort of thing, I say. I guess you ain't. You want a cold beer? He reaches into the cooler. He's testing me. Sure, I say, in a deep, manly voice. He pulls out an icy cold can of Budweiser and shoves it at me. I pop open the can and suck down half of it, hoping it looks natural, and then stare out into the woods like I'm itching for something to kill. My throat is burning and my eyes are watering, but I I can't let him know it. Damn it, I'm thinking. I'm going to be stuck out here in the woods with this crazy bastard for all eternity. I begin to envy the squirrel that made a clean getaway. Should be some deer along directly, he says. Cool, I say. I hate him. I have a feeling that he picks up on it, reads my brainwaves. I heard him tell Dad once that the steel plate in his head allows him to pick up radio broadcasts from as far away as Johannesburg, South Africa. You like deer meat, he asks. Um, it's okay. Okay? Well, not my favorite. No? Well, it, it just it tastes a little gamey sometimes. Gamey? What the hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> well, you know, wild. Wild, huh? He glares at me like his eyeballs are about to pop out of their sockets. It's just not my cup of tea, I said. Oh, is that so? Yeah. So you like tea, do you? Well, no, no, I I mean, um, yeah, yeah, I like iced tea. Tea boy, huh? Well, ain't that something. You don't like coffee? Uh, Oh, yeah, I love coffee. But you don't like meat. Oh, no, no, I love me. I, I love coffee. I, I love everything. I could tell he knew I was messing with him. I decided to pull back a little. I'm sorry I'm not a better hunter, I say. Too much of a city boy, I guess. I guess. You have any idea what our ancestors went through to keep their families fed? You think they enjoyed killing and skinning all those dewy-eyed little animals? I wasn't sure how to answer that one, but I took a chance. Probably not. Appreciated everything they shot. They couldn't go to no store back in those days and buy it all nice and packaged up in that cellophane and all that. He nudges me with his knee. You ever humped a girl? Oh, sure, I lied. Yeah? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, lots of times. Well, you seem a little prissy, if you know what I mean. Prissy? Yeah, like the way you're holding that can all prissy-like with two fingers. Grab a hold of it like a man, boy. I want to smash his face. I wrap my (laughs) hand around the can like a man, and I kill the rest of it. He reaches into the cooler and hands me another one. Course, it ain't none of my business how you lead your life, you understand. Except you're pretty much the last of the McCormick bloodline. I don't expect your mom and papa have any more kids, and I sure as hell ain't planning to. He spits. You like sports? Boxing? Football? That sort of thing? Sure. I hate sports, especially boxing and football and that sort of thing. I kill the rest of the beer in one long gulp. I crush the can in a manly fashion. 
squeeze it and toss it as far as I can. I feel un- Uncle Edgar staring at me. Doing okay? Yeah, but I'm not doing okay. I'm pissed and I want to go home. Christ, that one went down quick, didn't it? Give me another one, I say. Are you sure? Positive. Don't want your mom and pop getting upset with me. He hands me another beer. I pop it open, and I chug down half of it. It comes back up, mostly to my nose. Better take it easy with that stuff. It'll sneak up on you. I'd like to sneak up on him, I'm thinking. I picture him sitting on the lower branch of that tree where the squirrel was sitting. I catch him in my sight, picture him gone, and squeeze the trigger. What's so funny, boy? Nothing. I picture his head mounted on a wall next to a moose. I can't stop laughing. Stop it, goddammit. You'll scare the deer away. I want to go home, I say. We just got here. I want to go home now. I don't care anymore. I hate him, and he hates me. I start to throw up. Yep, just what I figured. Looks like we got ourselves a little queer boy on our hands. Come on, queer boy, let's get you home. He gathers up his things. We're both quiet on the way home. As I get out of the car and walk toward the house, he calls out, Hey, queer boy. I turn, and I see him hunched over the steering wheel, his face purple with hatred. I'll be watching. And I knew he would. And that's the end of that little scene. Wow. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling grip. I really am. Uh, I've got a question here for you. You know, some some listeners um, will message in questions instead of calling. And, of course, if you want to call, 646-716-9922 is the number here. It's toll-free in the continental U.S. to talk with Robert Taylor, Robert Leland Taylor, uh, who's here, and he just read a passage from his book, Through the Ant Farm, that I highly recommend you get. Uh, this is a question, though, or some comments and questions from uh, David Hurley. And David, uh, you probably know from the show. Oh, yeah, from we Facebook. him a lot. Yeah, he's yeah, fantastic. Facebook. He's a poet and author. He uh, his poetry, Abyssinia Jill Rush, was one of his first books of poetry. Uh, poetry prose mix, Sharon Tate and the Daughters of Joy. And he's also uh, creator of the uh, blog Bookalage. Fantastic with reviews. Okay, so he says, David says, for Robert, speaking of the incomprehensible phenomenon of some woman becoming, of some women becoming groupies of horrible killers. It's a fact that some female witnesses of Hitler's 1924 trial claimed to want to sit in his bath water. Weird aroma. Anyway, your wit, humor, and not-so-underlying darkness are obvious, and I see that your literary mentors include Vonnegut, Heller, and Vidal. Do you like Tom Robbins' stuff in Douglas Adam? You must enjoy... Mark Twain, through the ant farm compels me now, and I can't shake the thought of Sling Blade from the little that I know of it so far. Okay. I like Sling Blade, too. <laughs> <laughs> I surely did. Well, I love uh, Tom Robinson. I love uh, uh, 
the other one he mentioned, what was it? Oh, yeah, Mark Twain. Um, yeah, those are both. Uh, Mark Twain. Yeah, Mark Twain. And, and Vonnegut, Tom, uh, Heller, Vidal. Vonnegut, Heller. But uh, I think I mentioned um, Vidal in another post, and I, I'm not sure if I mentioned him in this one in, at the beginning. But I think um, that the writers that I like, almost all of them have a screw loose, and that's one of the common denominators. And they're they're offbeat. I like the offbeat. Mark Twain, of course, was way ahead of his time, and he mm-hmm. was very uh, pro, uh, anti-slave back when our pro African American before they called them African Americans, and that was of course after slavery, after the slaves had been freed, but they were still pretty much as bonded bonded as they were before they were freed. I liked all of the all of his ideals and his compassion and so forth. And Vonnegut had that same kind of compassion mm-hmm. as Mark Twain. And I think as a matter of fact I think that Vonnegut adored Mark Twain and spoke of Mark Twain quite often. But I think the writers with the, the compassion the ones that are a little bit offbeat, a little quirky, those are the ones that I'm attracted to the most. Um, I don't really read as much fiction as I should. I read a lot of historical stuff. I read a lot of nonfiction. And, but I have my favorites, and those are the ones that I kind of, the old greats, the old masters, are the ones I kind of stick to. I Sometimes I... I venture out into the uh, contemporary uh, novels, the new ones, and I I, I do like uh, some of the I like Tom Hamill and Forever. He that was a great novel, and uh, Tom McCarthy. I like that. He he had a book out called Remainder um, about a British man. He's injured by some unknown object from above. It's very bizarre. And he tries to piece his life back together. He, he doesn't remember anything. He doesn't know who he is. But those kind of books, the ones that are ahead of their time, like Mark Twain, uh, the mm-hmm. ones that are quirky, and the ones that seem to be a little bit uh, out of the mainstream are the ones that um, I'm really attracted to. I think I've got a call here for you right now. I don't know if this is someone you know. I don't recognize the number. Um, Thank you for calling Madam Perry Salon. Uh, Talk to our guest, Robert Leland Taylor. All right, I think that might have been, I don't know if that was one of your, your book clubs or fan clubs or what. So, <laughs> the uh, little little demon girls there, but. Uh, <laughs> that was my, that was, uh, don't be alarmed, that was my little security alarm. I'm hooked up to, I'm wired up to a stress meter, 
And whenever there's an awkward moment in the interview, the stress meter will go off. <laughs> um, I, I could disable it, I guess, but it's rather painful. It's hooked into my neck. And I have no idea who that was. But it sounded oh, very de- demon demonic, girls. didn't it? sounded demonic. Yeah, I, from, the sh- I don't know. From, from The Shining? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a little... I had, I had a little shiver run up my spine when, when I heard it. <laughs> Are you still on the line, caller? Like Smith. <laughs> no. <laughs> Usually when uh, horror writers like Jay Smith or Kenneth W. Kane call, they always call. Because I remember once I said, I'm so sorry, that's never happened before. And they and uh, Kenneth said, oh, it happens to me all the time. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> they're used to it. So right now... Uh, Is that caller still on the line? Of our sponsor. No, no, they're gone. Okay. Uh, okay. They, they're, they're busy. So I'm going to play a, a spot from our sponsor, Reno Soriano, uh, the, our holistic health alchemist, and uh, we'll be right back with more of Robert Leland Taylor. And, yes, you can call 646-716-9922. Hi there, my friends. Are you struggling with repeating life problems? Does it seem like your life does not flow the way you're intending? Have you lost touch with your dreams and maybe even given up on them? Have you tried many spiritual modalities and practices in the attempt to resolve your life problems with little to no significant results to show for it? Well, I have a solution for you. Hi, I'm Rena Suriano. I'm also known as the Conscious Health Alchemist. I'm known to help people crush their life problems easily and quickly using my luminous consciousness expansion practices. I also assist people to create radiant health in a bligant body using my fun food fantastic recipes and my secret holistic elixirs and remedies. Look, most people spend thousands of dollars over many years on personal development seeking the better of their lives. The fact that you may not be aware of this, more than 90% of people who use the common laws of attraction and other similar teachings never really experience much change in their life. If you want to discover the reasons why you continue to struggle and even suffer in life regardless of what personal development modalities you are using, then I have a gift for you. Go to my website right now at lifebrilliance.com and instantly download my free report and video called Luminous Life Detox, How to Create a Life That Flows and Feels Good. I look forward to hearing about your transformation soon. I'm Reno Soriano, and remember, live victoriously. Yeah! Music by Ryan Farish on the album of Life and Stereo. All right, welcome back. This is Madam Perry, Madam Perry Salon. And that was a message from uh, Reno Soriano. So look for his Life Brilliance website and uh, see what kind of great things he has going on. He has fantastic blogs and posts of all kind of groovy things to make you feel better. It helped me to sleep better. Uh, just he wants, wants you to have a victorious life. So, yeah, I got another message from uh, David Hurley, he said, uh, I guess it was after your call from the Demon Girls, he says, that was bone chilling. Yes, David. Well, some people just sort of collect this kind of following. There's not a whole lot I can do about it, you know. You just have to roll I, with for it. For some guess, reason, I, I attract, uh, for some reason, I attract demons. I'm not sure why. You know, it doesn't make any well, sense. I'm so fluffy and cuddly, I don't understand that at all. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody's got a play called Sex without flyers hey <laughs> well that the title is not exactly germane to this story but there i felt compelled to mention it, that title in the story somewhere well since i you know came up with that title 
I had to throw it in there somewhere, but um, it's not really uh, what you think it is. <laughs> okay, so what, so you're telling me that's probably what it's a it was a typo, and it's really sex without plies. It's about some uh, uh, swingers uh, ballet swingers club or something. Sure, that's it. Sure, sure. No, that's not it at all. All right. Actually, it's um, <laughs> I got the idea for this funny, funny title popped in my head one day. And I thought the title was hysterical. I liked it a lot. And so I decided to go ahead and make a short play out of it, a one-act play. And so I started writing the play, and then I said, well, there's nothing about sex and pliers in here. So I'm going to have to work it in. So I figured out a way to work out the that phrase, sex without pliers. I worked oh, it into good. The, that, this, this we got to hear. This, this yeah. we got to hear. <laughs> Are you going to tell us or keep us? <laughs> well, it's it's uh, actually it's 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 about a oh, a fifties or sixties grainy type of uh, gumshoe detective. Who you know has all of the the lingo and the the jargon, and he is uh, out on a case uh, trying to find Raymond Fudder's missing wife in the big mansion, and he is uh, uh, Raymond Fudder is a writer of children's books about Billy the Bat, who sneaks down the chimney of bad kids at night. And sucks out their uh, their uh, their uh, their badness and so forth. And anyway, he um, has mother uh, mother Futter uh, is involved in the whole thing. And it's really about a, a musical that's not really a musical, but. The characters in the play, one of the characters in the play, thinks it's a musical and keeps bursting into song and annoying everybody else in the play. And it's really kind of a farce that uh, is about 30 minutes, and I thought it would be fun to put on in various places. Actually, they it was um, it was produced in a little cabaret-type theater in New York City uh, called Don't Tell Mama. Um, and it oh, was also I've produced. been there. I know that place. Oh, have you? Have you really? Tell Mama. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a. That was a lot of that's fun. That's pretty prestigious. That's a very. And we had place, um, we had it produced here, right here in Zanesville. And I was, as a matter of fact, I was actually in the play. I, you know, I like to act too, and I had a part in my own play. I was playing <laughs> Ray, Raymond Futter. So it's always fun to do that. It's a little nerve-wracking. And what the strange thing is, when you do your own play, you spend as much time learning your lines, your the ones that you, you had written, you spend as much time learning those as you do a stranger's lines, which is really odd to me. I don't know how that happened. You would think, you would, you would think it would be easier to learn your own lines, but it's not really... So yeah, so that was mom. Um, don't tell mama. That is a great place, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of big names, especially in New York. Broadway people come, you know, try out new material or do their cabaret shows and their plays there. That had to be uh, me. If I had some of my work performed there, 
I would think that's fantastic. So was that pretty, oh, that was, that pretty was good feeling, or what were they like? That was thrilling. Well, it was really about, great to do that. Well, my, well, tell my me about daughter, the experience and the people. My daughter, uh, I was a little bit, uh, to be honest, I was a little intimidated, you know, about going to New York, driving to New York, navigating my way around the streets of New York and so forth. My daughter volunteered to take me. And so uh, took me, my wife, Chris, and we all got into her car and drove down there. And she got a great deal on motel, and we had uh, we had the greatest time. You know, we, we went through all the, the um, saw all the sights in New York City and so forth. And then when we got to the cabaret and we had met the actors and so forth beforehand, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the main actor. Her, she's got to be pretty big. She was on Dave Letterman's show several times. Donna Castanello, something along those lines. I wish I had her name down in front of me, but it, it's Donna Castanello or something like that, and she plays in um, my big Greek, my big fat Greek wedding or something like that. But anyway, it was really a lot of fun. We had, they made me stand and say the last line. The cast wanted me to stand and say the last line of the play. And nobody in the audience knew that the playwright was out there. And so the last line of the play, I had to stand and shout it out. And that was a lot of fun, too. Because I I think I gave a couple of people a heart attack that were close by, you know, when I stood and shouted out. They thought I was some kind of neurotic uh, street person that walked in or something and was shouting to himself. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it was a lot. Of, it, was a great, it was a great experience and a lot of fun. I had a great time. Wow, I should have asked you to bring the the, uh, the playbill so we could uh, get a feeling of it because I think that's rather exciting. Now, I think that would be a rather uh, exhilarating. I mean, I think... You know, it would be a kind of a mix of uh, am I in over my head and totally exhilarated, you know, totally psyched at the same time. Oh, that's the way I felt. I was like, well, you know, I, I never – as a matter of fact, that was my first trip to New York. Um, I'd been through it. I'd driven through it, you know, going to uh, uh, Connecticut and so forth, um, the White Mountains and and I'd been driven through New York about four or five times, but that was the first time I'd actually stopped in and, you know, went into a, a theater. And that was, of course, not one of the big major theaters, but it was big to me. And that's that was a big thrill in my life. And I, I, I thought it was one of the the highlights of my year and of my life, actually. I was really thrilled well, to death. As- that's that's not that's not just a a, a little podunk theater that, or cab that anybody can get into, you know, and especially in the back. Yeah, I, I, that that's a pretty cool gig, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm rather yeah, impressed. Maybe, I think that'd be very exciting. Maybe I should start peddling my plays again. <laughs> that's well, one let of me the ask things. You uh, sure. Oh, go ahead. Well, one of the things about my. <clears throat> about my endeavors is I seem to not stay focused in one particular arena. I started off in 
wanted to be an artist. And then I started writing short stories. And then I started writing novels. And then I started writing plays. And then I would go back to novels, which is where I am now. Instead of focusing, you know, like a laser beam in one area, I'm all over the place. And if I had it to do all over again, that's one of my big regrets, is I think I would just focus in one area and not Mm -hmm. try to spread myself too thin and do everything, you know? If, if yeah, if you're uh, and I think I think I'm going to be kind of uh, a nag about getting you back uh, to stage like that with your work because that's impressive. I was going to tell people too. Uh, his website is robertlelandtaylor.com, and if you look on any of my social media from Madam Imperial, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or uh, Facebook. Google Plus, you'll see I'll be sharing his information, but the website, robertlelandtaylor.com, very nice website, very nice. Um, I've got a, there's a quote here uh, from Gatlin Reed, who's the author of Shelter in Place, and the quote is, uh, Robert Leland Taylor is endlessly inventive in his observations of the human condition. He populates his universe with characters who are both world-weary and, and naive at the same time, hilarious and heartbreaking, and every word rings true. More, please. So, uh, yeah, very, very, very nice, nice blur from Gatlin Reed. Yeah. So, um, what does uh, what was the uh, next thing you want to do? Well, um, I had a uh, novel started that I keep going back to and I keep abandoning it but it's it's called uh, Farewell Daddy Bones and I'm thinking about going back to that and putting my focus on that and trying to block out all other distractions in the meantime because I seem to be uh, that seems to be one of my big faults is letting things distract me too easily. So I have to remain focused and get that story done. Because I, when I first started, I was very excited about it. But, you know, things come along and things stick their head up and your tension goes to the left and to the right, up and down and everywhere else, but the place that you're supposed to be working at. So I need to get that done. Uh, but let me ask you, too, where would people, since I've given your um, your website, and go on there too. We haven't talked about this tonight, but Robert is an artist, and he has some of the most deeply beautiful and haunting paintings I've ever seen, and some of them still stay with me. And I've, I've even I've even argued with some of the some of the uh, people in in your paintings, Robert. I never told you, but I've had these really? discussions and arguments with them. Yes, yeah. Uh, especially the girl who's got the luggage and she's coming back home and it's, it's dark and yeah, that have one you seen, definitely. Have you but, seen anybody about this? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, okay. <laughs> no, we, we just kept it to us. But uh, <laughs> where can people buy through the ant farm? 
And are you are you going out with any public appearances right now, or are you available for people's book clubs on via in person or via Skype? I don't have anything lined up right now. I have uh, uh, I'll, I'll probably be at the library here in Zanesville pretty soon, but <laughs> that's not that's not gelled. But I think uh, as far as uh, where you can get the book, that would be on Amazon.com. Okay, and so you get the book on Amazon.com and uh, Zanesville Library. If you, you know, when you set things up, I'm, I'm sure you'll go ahead and put it on social media and on your website oh, yeah, as well. Oh, yeah, I will, I will do that. And, I'll put uh, that up on my website. And, and Robert Taylor, Leland Taylor is available yet to speak to your book club. And if you're not in his town, if you're not near Zanesville, Ohio, which I'll tell you what I've learned from one thing I've learned from Facebook is that there, <laughs> there are some very fascinating, talented, and, and fun people who there in Zanesville that I've met through Facebook that I really enjoy. But if you're nowhere near there, you know, I'm sure if you uh, sweet talk Robert, he would do, visit your book club via Skype or, or something like that. Oh, sure. Or you could Come fly on him down out. to Zanesville. We have oh, our very own mass murder here and other things, you know, other attractions. We have a mass murder here. We have pottery. Um, you know, we have different things. It's it's a it's a fun, exciting place. I was only kidding <laughs> you about the mass murder, by the way. <laughs> okay, you got to realize where I grew up in Atlanta. I've known a lot of people who were murderers. You know, and some of them were very high-profile murders. I remember my husband goes, I mentioned one of them. He goes, you know, people that have killed somebody. I, said, God, yes. <laughs> I grew up in Southeast Atlanta. Yes, I know sure. several people. Some of my best people. friends are murderers. Yeah, yeah, some are. Uh, yeah, every time I see a candy yeah. necklace, I think about the guy that gave me a candy necklace that later killed his mistress and stuffed her in a you know oil drum. So yeah, yes, or, or the guy that killed. Uh, uh, John Lennon. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. amazing. We it's, a, we <laughs> it's amazing what we don't know about our spouses. You know, <laughs> so many secrets there. Listen, it's been so much fun, and I hope that you have something else soon that that uh, you'll come back and talk to us about, or come back and talk about anything you want. Your next play or a play you've already written. If you want to talk about, uh, don't cry for me, Ike and Tina. Here lie the boomers. Sex without pliers. Please come back. We love it uh, because, you know, I adore you and I love your work. And thanks to everyone for listening. Robert Leland Taylor, get his book, Through the Ant Farm, from Amazon, or you can find him on social media. His Twitter handle is Mona Lisa Art, like Mona Lisa RT. Thank you so much, and Hey. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.